Hi, I'm Gauri Talatilam and welcome to Business of Building, a personal note from leaders of today to the leaders of tomorrow. Please join me in welcoming Vanessa Murray. In her current role, Vanessa works as an asset manager for Stanhope PLC, a property developer and investor who deliver large-scale commercial and mixed-use construction projects across the UK. Prior to joining Stanhope, Vanessa spent eight years specializing in property management. After a very brief stint in rural surveying, which we'll find out more about, and a whirlwind 18 months working in property department at EasyJet, she transitioned to commercial surveying and exchanged Estelios for the bright lights of London. There she found her niche specializing in high-end commercial portfolios, standalone assets and mixed-use estates, working for both Workman LLP and subsequently Savills PLC as an associate director. With a degree in music and no connections to the surveying world, her first few years working in the property were particularly challenging. I relate to that completely. The difficulty of building a network from scratch and the lack of access to senior female leadership was the inspiration behind Mentoring Circle an initiative that Vanessa founded to provide mentoring for junior women in the industry from women in senior leadership roles. Our paths crossed last year. I applied and approached her to be a mentor on Mentoring Circle because I just absolutely loved the initiative. Our first conversation was planned for 30 minutes and went on for more than an hour with my little one in the background playing Lego and for asking for help all the time which she found hilarious. I think so. I'm so inspired by her on her outlook and why it is so important that we have organizations like mentoring circles in the industry today. When I joined the industry, I wish I had someone to speak to and get guidance from and learn from. I'm grateful for my mentors who without a formal structure took me under their wing and to be honest, reassured me at every difficult conversation that it's gonna be okay. Role models are so key for us in every stage of our life. Even now, I look up to some incredible people in our industry to show us what can be achieved and overcome our self-limiting beliefs that can hold us back. And it happens a lot. So why Mentoring Circle? Why now? And how did she come up with this idea? This is what I'm going to explore with Vanessa in our chat now. And Vanessa, Thank you so much for joining us today. Without further ado, Vanessa Murray, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Business of Building. Thank you so much, Vanessa, for joining us today at the Business of Building. And I'd like to welcome you to speak to our listeners about your experience so far in the industry. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. It's lovely to be here. Vanessa and I, our paths crossed when we came well, when I when I approached you for joining Mentoring Circle quite a few months ago, and that journey has been quite amazing. And thank you so much again for uh, agreeing to be on the podcast. But, you know, our paths crossed in the industry, in the building industry, whilst doing Mentoring Circle, that is one part of your life. How did you come into asset management? What has the journey been like? Because I find it very fascinating how our journeys come into being as to where we are. So that would be lovely to hear, Vanessa. Yeah, of course. It's funny, actually, because my journey has not been straightforward. I think if you kind of look from the outside, 
And actually what's happened since the beginning is I've taken a completely different trajectory than I thought I would. So I actually, my degree was in music, believe it or not. So completely unrelated to anything that I'm doing now. And I finished my degree with a kind of completely different outlook of of what I wanted and what I wanted to do. And I used that year after I finished my degree to do a bit of exploration and find out what my skill sets were. And I don't know about you, but our careers advice at school was, and, and at uni, to be honest, was very basic. So I didn't really have any idea of what was out there at all. And I finished my course and then by chance, this company called TEFL, Teaching English as a Foreign Language, were running a course at half price for students at a university. And I had a month left of my rent. And so I did this TEFL qualification and ended up going out to Slovakia, of all places, and teaching English as a foreign language for a year when I was about 21. And I used that year to, A, just have a bit of fun, a different experience, and earn a bit of money to kind of fund some travelling around Europe. And I also used that year to go to a careers advisor and just be like, help, I've got no idea what I want to do with my life. Can, can I interrupt you there? I am so sorry for this, but how was that feeling going into this new country and you know finding your feet and trying to teach a language to how was the whole experience it was the best and worst year actually is the way that I can describe it and I'd love to be that person who goes oh my god it was just so amazing really transformational and it was transformational for me but not in an easy way so when I went out there I had so I had a job interview for for Italy China and Slovakia for from this TEFL course because they were linked up to these various organizations and I just had itchy feet and I basically just wanted to go anywhere and I didn't really care where it was, but I just wanted to kind of spread my wings. And I remember landing in Slovakia and not really knowing geographically quite where I was and having to go on Google Maps and be like, oh, I'm here. And when I arrived, I was picked up quite late at night by my boss, who was this South African guy who'd married a Slovak woman. He ran a Canadian language school where they taught English and French. And he picked me up from the airport and I was just in the back of this car in a random place in Slovakia. And I kind of had a dawning that actually <laughs> this might not be uh, the, the safest thing. And it was fine, but he took me to a very rural town in Slovakia. And I lived with a family who, it was one guy and his two kids. And that had all been arranged through the school. And I got there and, and he was like, oh, by the way, he doesn't speak any English. Do you speak German? And I was like, well, no, I don't speak German. <laughs> so we kind of communicated in hand gestures. And he said, well, you know, this is where the school is. Make your way there and start on Monday. So I, I remember that weekend being like, oh, my God, what have I done? I don't know where I am. I don't know how, the language. I don't know how to get anywhere. I didn't have a bank card. So they had to help me set up all of that. But it was absolutely amazing in the sense of, I'd never had to be more self-sufficient than then. I had to start and make friends again. I was so lonely. And I remember thinking to myself, when I go back to the UK, I'll never ever feel lonely again because this is what lonely feels like. <laughs> it was really hard. It was, it was amazing. And, you know, I didn't get paid hardly anything, but I met some really interesting people. And I used that year and the free time that I had in that year to actually do some careers, proper careers exploration. And I did the Myers, I think it's the Myers-Briggs and there was something else. There was a skills and values test and something else. 
And long story short, I did this program with this lady for about four weeks and it was all over Skype. I did that and out of that came all these skill sets, which I kind of didn't really know I had, although it linked closely with what I knew I was good at. And one of the things that came out of it was property. And so I had to do a bit of digging to find out what it involved. And, and I, so I did. And one of the exercises that she had was to call up someone in a position that you wanted to be in in 10 years time and find out how they got there. So I called up this guy in Knight Frank, who was head of something in London. I was like, oh, hi. Uh, just wondered how you got to where you got to and he explained that he did a master's in real estate and I did the same with a few other people and they all said well I did a master's in real estate so I got back to the UK after a year and I was like oh I need to do a master's in real estate so that's what I did and that's how I ended up doing what I'm doing. Absolutely fantastic. If I can uh, just roll back to the time, because, you know, I have I went through a very similar experience when I came to UK, just just lying in bed, you know, and just thinking, why am I here? What, what have I done with myself? So how did you, when you said that you, you felt like very lonely at the time, did you have like some tips of what you did to get friendships or meet new people? I have mine, I'll tell you later what I did. Well, I said to myself that I would just say yes to anything that anyone invited me to, because I don't have a social life, I don't have any friends. So the people, at, the people that I worked with at the school, I became quite friendly with some of the other girls who were teachers and they had a Slovak girl who's taught French, who became one of my best friends actually. Another guy who was American who was teaching as well. So we kind of hung out together. And then another, and the receptionist was Slovak. And so they were very welcoming and kind of invited me to all their events. And so even if I didn't really want to go, you know, when you're invited to something, you kind of make up a bit of an excuse. You're like, oh, maybe. Oh. Well, I just said yes to everything. And I think you know, there were some things. One of my friends eventually, who I kind of got to know, she asked me if I wanted to come to this trance night. And I was like, yeah, that would be great. Anyway, it was the worst thing that I've ever been to. So, <laughs> there's, a there's a boundary to say. And after that, I was like, well, I've said yes to it once. and I'm never doing that again in my life. I'm, I never have. But everything else I just went to. And so I kind of ended up with a bit of a community at the end of it. And that was how I did it. <laughs> It's quite interesting because, and we haven't spoken about this, it was very similar to what I, one of mine was, uh, one of my colleagues, my best friend now, she's German, and she she had this German community in uh, in London, and they would go for, you know, the London walks, this, there are groups who come, it's a time and where you can go for a walk and you what train you take, uh, and they would do it on Saturdays, they would pick a Saturday and go, and here I am, the only Indian, <laughs> rocking up with a German group for a walk <laughs> and but there's so many things you learn from that isn't it it's just like yeah it was one of those experiences kind of thing and actually just to add to that the one thing that was quite interesting for me is even now my parents say that when I came back after that year I was a completely different person to the person I was before I went there what was the difference what was it what was Vanessa before leaving and what was Vanessa like after coming back I, I think I was just much more resilient and much less afraid. I don't think I was particularly afraid before, but I was probably a bit naive. Like I traveled a bit and all the rest of it, but I think it's very different when you're completely, completely alone and you don't understand anything and there is no kind of safety net. So I think they said that I just had a lot more direction. I was more resilient and I knew what I wanted. And I think partly that was because when you experience something like that, you know what you don't want and you're like, okay, so this is what I need. And it helps channel you a bit more. Trans night is not on the list then. 
Yeah, exactly. Charles Knight <laughs> excluded. <laughs> I, I guess it's uh, it's like, you know, the protection you have from the family perhaps before and then you not having that and then figuring it out on your own kind of makes you that different kind of person, isn't it? Resilient yeah. is the word. So how did the journey go after you did your master's? Yeah, so I did my master's in, I actually did it in rural estate management. So I qualified as a, as a rural surveyor, which is basically the same as a normal surveyor as well. I say normal, same as a commercial surveyor, but you have to have agricultural module that's compulsory. So it's a bit of a nuance to it. And I started out of that. I thought it would be very interesting because at the time, lots of the rural stuff was diversifying into commercial. But actually, the reality was that all our clients that I had at the time when I was training were very asset rich, but cash poor. So from the standpoint of actually being able to do anything, there wasn't really any opportunity to do it. And I wasn't particularly happy when my training job. And so when I qualified, I ended up moving to EasyJet to work in their property department completely by chance because my cousin worked for the HR department and she was like, oh, we're looking for someone with property experience. It doesn't really matter if you're that junior. So I was like, yeah, that sounds fun. And there was travel involved. And I was like, oh, EP, I get to go to Paris. And I did get to go to Paris quite a lot and other cities but only in the airport so again it wasn't actually that glam but I learned loads and I had a really great boss who I'm still in touch with today and he gave me loads of responsibility more than I felt that I deserved at all and he would take my recommendations on things and I had no idea what I was doing and he would just be like what's your thought process if you recommend something I'll back you up and off we go so it was a very transitional sort of time and manager to work under and I was there for maybe two years and then I decided that I'd like to go to London and kind of upskill in the commercial zone because I didn't want to just be associated with like an airport surveyor because it's very nuanced and I I wanted to make sure that I didn't pigeonhole myself so that's when I went to London I trained under in workmen who are specialist property managers building surveyors and I was in the property management arm and I all my sort of skills that I use today, the foundation of that was through Workman. And then the last bit of the story is when I went to Savills and Broadgate was selling out at the time and Savills were taking a lot of their clients on board. And so they were recruiting for someone to come on board some of their clients. And I was bought on for that. Stanhope were one of Savills clients at the time and they had just PC'd phase one of Television Centre, a huge development down in West London, like the old BBC development and I was spending a huge amount of my time there and I got on really well with one of the asset managers who came in actually both of them but one of them at the time said I actually need your help on a bit more of a full-time basis will you come and comment and so I was like yeah amazing I'll come and comment by the way I don't know how to asset manage she was like no problem we will teach you that so I did I did that for nine months and then they offered me a full-time role and then I've been at Stanhope ever since and here we are and here we are (laughs) So uh, some interesting uh, points there, even in EasyJet, even with Stanhope, you've had some incredible people in your life who, and even the person you phoned in, like Frank, and asked, like, you know, what, how, how do I get where you are? So is that what kind of, um, you know where I'm going with this, uh, <laughs> planted the seed with Mentoring Circle? And if you don't mind elaborating, how did it start? Why Mentoring Circle? And you know, just explaining about our mission here. You're absolutely right. That's how it all started was because I had a few people along that journey who were really key and really transitional and helped me a lot to get to where I got to. And I was quite lucky in that I was promoted 
pretty much every year. And it was quite a quick trajectory to get to where I was. And I recognized that there was a lot of people who'd had an influence on that and not necessarily in a watershed way, but I think sometimes it's those small conversations and those little nudges in the right direction that have a compounding effect over time. And my confidence had just built and I was really happy with what I was doing. And I was looking around the room and I noticed that with a lot of the women, especially the young women that I worked with, either colleagues or service partners or third parties, whoever, a lot of the young women didn't have the confidence to do jobs that they were completely capable of doing. And I remember feeling like that. And I remember having conversations with people who went, of course you can do it. And sometimes it takes someone else telling you you can do it to actually feel like you can do it because you don't really believe it yourself. And then when you do do it, you think, oh my God, I can't believe I've just done that. And you feel really good. And then it makes you go for the next job because you've got the confidence that was given to you as a result of that. So that was the inspiration behind starting it. And I had one particular colleague who was fantastic. who just had no idea how great she was. So my idea was to partner very senior women in the industry who were really actually my friends at the time who were just brilliant and I knew that I could ask them for a favor and partner them up with junior women who were newly qualified to give them a bit of a career kickstart because for me the hardest time was when I just qualified because before qualification you've got all these milestones that you need to hit and it's very obvious what you need to do to be successful and then after you qualify you're kind of just told to be a professional and off you go and I think that's actually really difficult and your success is often dictated by how good your line manager is and if you have a great line manager fantastic if you have a plodder who might not have ambitions for themselves and therefore not recognize that you might have ambitions that they need to nurture it's very difficult to make sure that that translates all the way through so you can't always as a young woman and even as a young guy as well you know this is not gender specific rely on all the support within your own organization and you might need to get that externally the difference being that there's a huge disparity on the senior level between men and women and that's why I wanted to make sure that we were giving support to the junior women to get a proper pipeline of people going through to those senior leadership positions that's how it came about really and it started off very small and then it snowballed into a bit of a beast <laughs> was it like an idea which was building up in your head because you know I wonder I wonder if I could do that if I had that support or was was it something like that like or is it overnight that this this seems like a brilliant idea and I'm gonna go and do it I'll tell you, I'll, I'll tell you why I'm asking uh, yeah. because there are so many you know so, so many mentees I work with in parallel as well and it's that idea to how you act on the idea is what I'm trying to get to because that's where the magic happens really, isn't it? And how do you execute it? And what do they need to think of when they're trying to execute this tiny little seed of an idea? That is actually a really interesting point because I hadn't really thought about the catalyst for it, but I was actually having coaching at the time and one of the, the coach that I was with She's actually one of the mentors of the scheme. I'm sure she won't, won't mind me saying she's called Kerry Moyers and she's absolutely brilliant. And she took me through a kind of list of values and things. We kind of clarified the things that I really wanted to work on and what actually sort of makes me happy as well. And one of them was giving back. And I had this idea and I was talking to her about it. And she, she was just very good at challenging me and saying, well, why didn't you just do it then? 
And I was kind of like, well, you know, it could be difficult. And, da, da, da. and she was like, well, you won't really know if you try. So why don't you just try? And you know, when it takes someone being very clear with you and you can hear yourself coming up with excuses. And I was like, actually, you're right. So it was thanks to her, really. Again, I mean, she was coaching me, so it's slightly different. But she is very, she knows, obviously, the difference between mentoring and coaching and really supported me. And I started it very with very small ambitions in mind and then grew it off the back of that. And then I managed to rope her in to be a mentor. So I, was, <laughs> I managed to keep, keep her in my life because she's amazing. Yeah, I mean, and, you know, you're surrounding yourself with such amazing people as well, isn't it? And that's what drew, you know, attracted me to Mentoring Circle as well. Not only is it uh, the idea of giving back and supporting someone, but also being a part of a community where you feel you belong and the tribe, as it were, really, isn't it? I mean, yeah. one point you touched on earlier as well was... Um, the senior leadership and the disparity in the senior leadership uh, in the industry. Do you do you observe that very often? Um, does that you know is that something you're observing quite a lot within the industry? And I, I do think so. I mean, it's it's in it's pretty obvious, isn't it? I mean, it's not. I, I think property is notorious for having the sort of pale male stale stereotype that's not to say that there aren't great moves being made in the right direction and I do think that businesses genuinely want to improve that and recognize it but change takes time and so I do recognize that definitely but I also recognize that there's an awful lot of good work that goes into trying to change that and a lot of fantastic male advocates as well because it's very easy to look and say well you know you're this and you're that and you've had privilege but you know they might have had other issues socioeconomic you know lgbtq there's lots of ways that people don't feel inclusive but i do think personally and especially when i was in the earlier stages of my career there wasn't a multitude of women in those top level positions and even now there still aren't and that's what i'm trying to change just to level the playing field a little bit and make sure that we don't have people dropping out at that mid-level because that's the really, really important thing because the mid-level, the mid-senior level are managers of the younger people underneath. And it's really important that we're represented at, at senior leadership level, but also at mid-level too, because that gap is the tricky stage of the process, I think. What you can't see, you can't be kind of thing as well, really, isn't it? So you are you're kind of role modeling at that stage as well, looking up to. I mean, I know when I was uh, probably in the senior mid-level and then you're looking around to see people like you and you don't have anyone to talk to or those are the times where you can't kind of relate the journey, if that makes sense, with a lot of people around you and that's where it becomes trickier and then you're the feeling of, am I in this alone? Like, who do I talk to kind of thing of, yeah. and it's just that relating part of it, really. Uh, what's the future for Mentoring Circle for you? Is there a goal you want to reach or is there, you know, an idea for the future that ideally would like to do this or? Do you know what is changing, actually? It's an interesting question because at the beginning, my ambitions were, it would be great to have every junior woman have access to a senior woman for free. You know, wouldn't that be amazing if we were able to do that? And the answer is, yes, it would be. But if the program is to be effective, you need to be able to control the size of it. And so 
it's grown so quickly over the last two years. I mean, for context, we started with 80 mentors, which blew my mind anyway. I just couldn't even believe that we had that many. And then this year we have 120 and I've got a waiting list of more. And I think next year we'll have to cap it at 150. And the reason for capping the numbers is because it's a, if you do anything in person, venue size is really difficult. So on a practical level, you're quite restricted when you want to put on, on events, but also you want to make sure that everybody involved in the program really feels their worth and value as part of it. And that goes for the mentors and the mentees. And if you make it too big, it's quite difficult to make it impactful. And so I would like to continue this every year and give as many people as I can, as many young women a chance to be a part of it on the programme. And if we run it annually, it means that if some people don't get it in one year, they might be able to get it the next year. I mean, the parameters for the mentees are that they have to be qualified and a maximum of five years post-qualification experience. So there's, there's opportunities for them to get involved up until, you know, pretty late on in their career. So that's my ambition, really. And I, and I went into it thinking, you know, if it even just helps one or two people, then I'll be happy. So if I sort of harp back to that, then I think, okay, well, it's set out what I wanted it to achieve. And if that's the case every year that one or two people get loads from it and it really helps them in their careers, then I'm happy. That's fantastic. I mean, the just the numbers you have mentioned, it's like an overwhelming response, really, isn't it? And I was just going to ask you something on that. Like, the, is it reflective of what's happening in the industry and the other other people are seeing that and that's why they're reaching out to you, particularly mentors, where they're like, it's a it's a platform to perhaps link with the right kind of mentees, isn't it? So what do you hear from the mentors, for example? Is that what they're looking out for as well? Yeah, I mean, actually, interesting, because I would say that probably we have more engagement for the mentors than the mentees. Getting the message out to the mentees and, and showing them that where we're available and how to apply and actually making ourselves known has been quite challenging and I think that's because we use LinkedIn and Instagram as our main social platforms and people who use LinkedIn I mean the younger lot if they don't have a network it's quite difficult to interact with your wider network and you might not feel like you have that much to say so that's not really a platform that they use as much whereas the mentors are very connected, they're doing articles, they're doing podcasts, they're on panels, they're being asked to speak in various events. So they're very active on LinkedIn with each other, but also as a wider industry. So all the mentors are saying to me, oh my God, I wish I had this when I was younger. This would be amazing. That's why I want to get involved. It's exactly you. But that, right? that's me as well. Yeah. I mean, you, you would have really loved that yourself. So you think, God, if I could give that to someone else, how incredible would that be? Whereas I think we know what the challenges are because we've been through it. And when you're younger, you might not quite know what's coming up. So getting the message out to the mentees is one of the challenges that I'm facing at the moment, albeit it's changing because as the programme continues, the mentees let their friends and their other mentees know. So naturally it will grow. But I definitely see more of an engagement on the senior side. And I think they are very keen to see a sea change in how the industry operates going forward and they want to be a part of making that happen which is brilliant to, you know, for you to give them that platform as well. What are the mentees looking for from the program? It's just so interesting, isn't it? Because we have touched on this in our personal chats as well. It's quite interesting to understand what they want from the industry or what they want 
for their future, as it were. So because they go through an application process, do you want to run through how you, where they can find this process or how you vet? The application process is all online. So we have a website, mentoringcircle.co.uk, and there's a mentee section. And on that section, there is an application form and it goes live in November. So at the moment, it's kind of grayed out on the screen. And they have to put in the areas that they want to work on and they have to answer a few questions, tell us a bit about themselves. And you get a really good feel from the quality of those applications and the thought that goes behind the questions as to who would be well suited to the scheme. So at the moment, it's me vetting it. I read all the applications and I've structured it very deliberately to give them an opportunity to actually say what they want to get out of it. I mean, it's not it's not a yes, no application. It was, although on a side note, it was quite funny actually, because one of the applications that I got last year, they'd asked the, on one of the questions, their answer was TBC. <laughs> they were like, I'll come back to that. And I was like, well, not really, not really how it works. But in general, the themes that come out of the application forms are confidence. I mean, number one is confidence. The other one is public speaking and being able to speak out in a room career trajectory and how to plan their careers is a big thing and also changing within their roles and their with organizations and I don't mean coming out of their organizations and finding a new job because that's not the purpose of the scheme the whole purpose of the scheme is talent retention but it's if they want to try something new or work in a different field how they go about positioning themselves how they request how they can ask for pay rises all those kind of really key things that even now as someone more senior we all struggle with too I mean it's always an uncomfortable conversation so a a huge variety of requests um, come out of it but mainly confidence is an overriding theme yeah it's it's very interesting because that's what I get asked quite a lot as well that do you face that the question is always imposter syndrome do you do you feel like you belong do you have a seat at the table if I was at that stage in my career, most of the times I would question that as well. But then you gather whatever self you've got left within and then you're like, no, I can do this. I mean, every single time you go on site, it was like that before you're like preparing yourself. Yeah, right. I'm ready. I'm ready. But, but the other one that comes out as well, and I should have mentioned it because it's a big one, was actually navigating uh, childcare and children and uh, work-life balance. Because a lot of our mentees are late 20s. Kind of, the t- they tend to be around late twenties, early thirties, as a general rule. Although obviously there's people that fall outside of that and under that, and a lot of them are thinking about having families or have young families and actually being able to ask for promotions, working part time, and they should just be able to do all those things. And they're not quite sure how to navigate it. So a lot of that is support around those areas too. I mean, question comes to you as well, Vanessa. You have got so much going on. How is how do you manage the balance with mentoring circle, the job, and you know, I mean, you said you are vetting every single application. That takes time, and the the events you are organising as well. It's absolutely amazing. So, what does Vanessa's day include? Well, first, I've got lots of support. I'm really lucky on that front. So, Mark Stanhope, the so who I work for, they've even though this is a kind of very separate initiative, they've been hugely supportive to me in getting it set up, Um, not only financially, but they've also allowed me to use some of the resources within the organisation. So my my colleague Lisa um, helps with everything administratively. And on the social media side as well, our marketing um, team, so a lady called 
Kate Vandermeer, Alison Summers, and Flora Cali as well. They help me on the social media, which is massive for me because I'm I'm not very au fait with social media and don't really know how it works. So there's been a big learning curve. So I've had that support. And also a big thing this year is that we have a mentee representative and that's been brilliant. She's called Emily Butson and she is actually on the program and she I met her at a conference with she reached out and said I'd love to help. I'd love to be a part of it. What can I do? And that's been very useful because she has been able to be the conduit between me and the mentees. And I found that last year, sometimes if people have suggestions about what they think should be improved, I really want to know that. I want this to be the best program that it could possibly be. But people don't feel very good about communicating criticism, even if it's constructive to you directly, whereas they're much more able to feed it into someone who's slightly removed. So that's been great and also to get a perspective of someone who's at the mentee stage has really helped feed into what we might tackle as some of the issues within the program so notwithstanding all of that it's still very busy and I do a lot of work in the evenings and weekends around it but because I've got the support of the business to help do it it's really up to me to manage my time to make sure that I can do my full-time job and this and some weeks it's it's horrendous in some ways it's okay <laughs> it's, it's quite interesting I, I only ask because I get asked about the balance how do you keep the balance and stuff and it's it's the passion isn't it once once you're doing something you're really passionate about it it the love flows through as it were and then yeah and you're happy to do yeah. it yeah, and I, I do love it. I really love it. I just wish we could have more hours in the day. <laughs> 26 hours. I mean, uh, 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 if I can take a few steps back, only because uh, this links to some of the things I have been observing Some sometimes when I go to speak at schools and stuff and the conversations I have with teachers and so on. And you mentioned something about career advice and how it wasn't great at your time or it was very basic. And for my observation, has been that the industry is still looked at as above the builder bricklaying nothing wrong with it but I, obviously not but it's not the only thing construction or building is about right so is that is that something you would ever look at to outreach at that level or is it is it something that is going to be after you come into the industry perhaps yeah, I mean, just to add to that, interestingly, went to a breakfast yesterday for women in engineering, and it was hosted by a company called Hydrock, who were fantastic. And they had a really interesting mix of people. And one of the comments that came out of it was exactly that, that in school, children are told, you know, if you don't get your GCSEs, you know, you're going to be on a building site. And the thing is, I had absolutely no idea about the role I do existed. I, I just didn't know that. and. Part of it is the variety of roles within construction and within the built environment as a whole. I mean, just to give you an indication on the programme, we've covered the whole built environment and we've got 70 different sectors involved. I mean, sorry, that's a lie. There's 70 different organisations and over 26 different sectors. 26 different sectors in the industry is enormous and there's talents and skill sets that match all different types of people so in answer to your question would we go out and outreach to schools one of the things that we're looking to do is be involved in uh, get our mentees involved in maybe speaking to school-aged children and we've been approached by Westminster Lions to do that and we're really that's one of the things we're really interested in doing but from an organizational point of view the nice thing about that is that it fulfills the mentoring circle bit of it 
But I think that's something that we would actually lean on the mentees if they wanted to, to do that because they're at a stage where they remember what it's like being a school, but they're also embedded in the professional industries. They've got the best, I think that they're in the best positions to target those kind of conversations. But that will have to be something that grows and matures as the as mentoring circle does because I have all these good ideas that I want to do but not enough time to actually execute any of them so watch this space you can't say that you don't execute any of them it's uh, I mean look at your idea of mentoring circle already is massive so it's just as you say it's going to be one step at a time really isn't it whilst uh, whilst things settle and then I mean you're in your second year it's absolutely brilliant you're already at your 120 mentors and mentees kind of group which is fantastic I mean I've got a bit of a traditional question here and that links back to I guess uh, one of the things you said uh, the risk you took with going into a very different country is what is the biggest risk you've taken and what have you learned from it well I was actually thinking quite long and hard about this because we chatted about it before, what's the biggest risk? But I, act, I do think the biggest risk that I took was setting up Mentoring Circle. Um, but perhaps not the actual act of setting it up. But I think the, the risk was when I felt that it could become something and actually deciding to make it happen. Because I was very concerned at the time that if it went wrong, um, that reputationally it could be quite damaging that people wouldn't get very much out of it, that it would flop. And I guess the reason why I decided to go for it anyway was because the intentions were good. So if it didn't work, then at least I'd given it a go. And I don't really think you can hammer someone too hard if their intentions are, are going in the right direction. So that was definitely a big risk. And I also wasn't sure how it materialized in terms of time and effort and whether it would work with the business. But the one thing I've learned as a result of it is just to even if you don't have an idea that's fully formed that you can still make a start because I think if I realized how big it would become and how much effort and work I'd have to put in it would have scared me too much to even start it I just don't think I would have done if I think two years ago me now could have told me then this is all the things you'd have to do to put it in place I'd, I'd probably have been a bit rabbit in the headlights but because I just started and thought ah yes yeah, it's just going to be like you know, 10 of my mates doing this, what's there to go wrong? I started something that actually now I'm really proud to have created and I don't think I would have done had I known. Which is fantastic. It's that leap of faith really, isn't it? And then about doing it and it's quite interesting what you said, like looking at being directionally correct and then you can always learn on the journey because there are so many people who would stop just with the fear of the scale of what it could be perhaps as well. I definitely would count myself in that. There's things that I don't do because I think it's got to be perfect. You've got to have everything ironed out before you start, like a business plan. I had no business plan. I just had an idea. If there's anything that would I'd take comfort from going forward is that start and work it out as you go. Yeah, and it's okay to fail. It doesn't. Yeah, who cares? Yeah, I mean, I care, but. <laughs> But you, you, you know, you put a point on it as well. You start thinking about the, oh, it's going to be a reputational damage and you kind of think a bit too much sometimes, isn't it? Whereas, whereas the people who are associated would be like, Vanessa, you did great. You tried. None of us have tried. 
you know, even have that idea kind of thing. So uh, just absolutely brilliant. And I'm so privileged to be a part of it. I'm so happy you're a part of it. So thank you. <laughs> no, thank you. I mean, thank you so much for speaking to me today and, you know, touching on all these aspects of uh, your career and your journey so far. And I would only wish you all the best and, you know, hope Mentoring Circle grows from strength to strength to strength. And uh, you have several little areas where we have more Mentoring Circles in the country and so on. But thank you so much again. Thank you so much for having me, Gary. Wow, what an episode. Thank you so much, Vanessa, for joining us today. Vanessa has started her journey in asset management. She is a senior asset manager at Stanwood PLC and is also the founder of Mentoring Circle, who is doing some great stuff in the industry. And um, it was a pleasure to be talking to her today. Thank you so much for everyone of our listeners to be listening today. Please rate and review and share with your friends and colleagues uh, the episodes and hope I'll be meeting you again next time. Thank you.